Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Hello, friends. Today we're beginning to reflect and meditate on the story of Jonah. If you were not with us last Sunday, or if you have not listened to the introduction to our Jonah series, if you're catching this on the podcast or on the website, then I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. I will do my best to catch you up here. To put it in a nutshell, nutshell, rather than asking, did this story actually happen? Did the story of Jonah actually happen? Did a guy actually get swallowed by a whale, etc.? We are not asking that question Our approach is to recognize that this story happens all the time. It happens all the time. And so we're saying, God, help me to see it. So we're asking God for a holy imagination. What does it look like when this story is happening in your life, when it's happening all around you? So the story starts out. Jonah 1, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that Yahweh's message became a reality to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach to it on behalf of it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the presence of the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for Tarshish, and after paying her fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, what is it like when God's message becomes a reality to you? What is it like? Down deep in your guts, you know that this word is there. There's this truth, this reality. It's palpable. It's a feeling, a thought, an image, a sensation. And it represents something that you need to do, a step that you need to take, something that you don't want to face, a part of your heart that you've blocked a job you need to apply for, someone you've ignored, a way that you need to be generous and serve someone, a sin that you need to be honest about and confess, someone that you need to confront, a relationship you need to give attention, a perspective that you need to embrace or at least consider, a fear that you need to face, an open door you need to step into, an omission that you need to make right, someone you need to reconcile with, 
a, a truth that you need to stop denying. Whatever it is, it's there. It's in the back of your mind. It's in your gut. It's chirping in your ear, nagging you when you slow down and you cannot escape it. You can try to explain it away or argue it away, but it still lingers. This word, this message doesn't give you a complete map to your future most times. It's not like God hands you a verbatim script of what you should say or what you should do. You aren't handed a complete step-by-step owner's manual for the rest of your life, but you are given a starting place, a direction, an intention, a feeling, a movement, a heart orientation. There's something that you know you can do with what you've been given, and it scares you. It makes you anxious and challenges you and exposes you and causes you to fear what it might cost you that it might take you somewhere you really don't want to go. You can push it away. You can run away. You can try to argue it away. You can try to sleep it away. But it's still there. And wherever you run, there it is. It's coming after you, possibly swallowing you up, pursuing you. We identify this as a word from God, a calling from God. There's there's no one way to describe it, but when God says something to you, when that message becomes a reality, you know it. And it's a reality in a way that goes beyond explaining. It's inescapable. It's down deep in your guts. You know that this word, this feeling, this image, this direction did not come from within your own mind. This is something that's transcendent and otherworldly. It came from outside of you. The transcendent, otherworldly message that became a reality to Jonah was... Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach to it. Preach on behalf of it, because its wickedness has come up before me, says God. Now, remember, we we talked about this last Sunday, but just as review, remember that Nineveh was the military capital of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, So it was like the Pentagon of the most brutal oppressor of the day. It was the ultimate symbol of violence. These were some of the most cruel people in history. Uh, my, you know, I, I don't want to make you feel sick, but impaling victims, flaying them open, throwing little kids off cliffs, dragging people into slavery by hooks through their jaw, scorching people alive, just all kinds of really grisly, awful things. Assyria had conquered Israel and led them away into slavery, nearly conquered Judah, 1 Kings 17 and 19. So to someone like Jonah, hearing this word, or to the people of Israel, Nineveh was like evil incarnate. They were the, the symbol of 
the world that is completely closed off to God? Like, what does it look like for people to be completely closed off to God? Well, look at Nineveh. Israel could not wait for God to destroy Nineveh, for God to destroy Assyria. And so, from the very beginning, God used two very important words to describe Nineveh. He called Nineveh the great city. And he named its wickedness. He said, the, the wickedness of Nineveh has come up before me. So God was able to say more than one thing about Nineveh. That word great, the, the Hebrew, is this word that describes importance. God is saying, this city is important to me. It's, God is placing a very high value on the life of the people of Nineveh. And then God also names the wickedness. Uh, the Hebrew word is raw. I, I like to hear it like raw because it literally means physical injury and unethical, immoral behavior against other people. It's like this far negative end of the moral spectrum. The opposite of goodness and peace and shalom. And so God is able to say more than one thing about Nineveh. They are both wicked, they are deeply violent and oppressive, and they are great, deeply important to God. God places a very high value on their life. So you have these two very different words about Nineveh. Can you see how what God said to Jonah from the very beginning was both comforting on the one hand and beautiful, but then on the other hand, this was like massively challenging and eye-opening. God is saying, yeah, I see their wickedness. I see everything they're doing. I see how wrong and evil they're being. I see their victims. And I bet Jonah felt really good to know that God saw this. It felt like empathy. Like all of Israel has been waiting for God to see this and do something about it. So let's get on with it already, God. Like smite them. Let's do something. But then God's also saying, Jonah, I'm sending you to the great city of Nineveh. Like, wait a minute, not the evil city, the great city? God's saying, I place a high value on the Ninevites' lives. They are people of immeasurable importance and worth to me. I <laughs> just see Jonah like, come, come again? What was that? When God's word becomes a reality to us, there's often part of it that is comforting. There's something about it that is beautiful and empathetic. It's like God tells us exactly what we needed to hear. And then there's a part of it that can be massively challenging and scary and stretching and eye-opening. We all tend to think that we already see reality clearly. We all tend to think that, well, you know, I'm, I'm well-meaning and I'm innocent. And, and so that leads to other people are the reason for the problem. You know, other people are getting it wrong. 
I know what's going on. We think we're the ones who see accurately. Uh, so it's our tribe and our team and our party getting it right. And they, those other people, are getting it wrong. They are Nineveh. And so your Nineveh might be a different culture, a different political party, a different ethnicity or gender or orientation or nationality or religion. It might be someone at school or sports or work or in the community, or church, or a family member. And it's us versus them, and they are the problem. And our human tendency is just to write those people off completely, write them off wholesale, cut them off. We tell ourselves that we really don't need them. We don't have anything to learn from them. We really don't want anything to do with them. And we live in a culture that does this all the time. You know, people unfriend other people. They cancel them. They, they divorce. They split. And society becomes more and more fragmented as everyone huddles further and further into their preferred version of reality. Uh, their smartphone, their chosen media, that diet continues to generate and reinforce this picture. And they, they say, I can see reality clearly. It generates and reinforces their preferred version of reality. This is the way I would like the world to be. And so they tell themselves that they are the ones who see clearly. Now, we forget that one of the very first things that scripture tells us about all humans is that all people are made in the image of God. Brian Ross very wisely points out that every culture, every person reveals something about God, something about Jesus and his kingdom. Even those cultures and people who we can't stand and they seem closed off to God, actually without God they wouldn't exist. So they reveal something about God that you lack. There isn't a person, there isn't a culture that fully reflects Jesus in his kingdom. Every person, every culture misses something. They're lacking something that reflects Jesus in his kingdom. So it means that every person, every culture has something to teach you. They reflect something of God that you lack and that you could benefit from if you were open to it. We're talking about your enemies here. We're talking about the CEO, your boss, who doesn't hear a thing you say. We're talking about the undocumented immigrant working for cash under the table, the youth working at McDonald's, those Trump supporters who you can't stand, or that woke crowd who drives you nuts, the elderly, your father-in-law, the Black Lives Matter crowd, televangelists on TBN, the people living in the woods across from Rosenberg's Hardware in Tillamook, and on and on and on, fill in the blank. All of these people, are they all reflect something of God. So to reject Nineveh is to reject 
something about God. And as we will see later in the story, Jonah's real problem was never with Nineveh. It seems like it's with Nineveh. It's not with Nineveh. His problem is with God. Uh, Jonah didn't want God to be gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love to the Ninevites. Jonah couldn't stand that mercy triumphs over judgment. Jonah wanted God's love to be exclusive. Now, the early church, they got this in the sense that they they recognized it takes all cultures and all ethnicities and all people to fully reflect the image of God. The way Leonard Sweet says it is, too many Christians want to change the world, not because they love the world, but because they hate the world. So let's pause here for a moment and let's just recognize, you know, we're exploring this this avenue that was a part of uh, what was going on with Jonah. But let's also recognize that not every word that we hear from God has to do with accepting people who we don't want to accept. However, when God's message becomes a reality, to you, part of how you recognize it is that it includes these, it's God saying more than one thing. So it includes these notes of comfort and empathy and beauty. And then it also includes these notes of challenge and action and opening our eyes. And God wants to show us a different version, a different picture of reality so that we can determine a correct course of action, so that we can actually see clearly. Now, what happens when we don't want to see that reality that God is showing us? Humans are incredibly clever when it comes to avoidance strategies. We may avoid responsibilities. We may denounce new information. We may name it as false. We may call it evil and dangerous. We may fill our minds up with knowledge. We may become too busy. We throw ourselves into distractions, whether it's a relationship or food or drink or sports, a show, our phone. We get involved with so many people that we have no time. The enigma of someone who's unwilling to consider something new that God is showing them is that they can come up with avoidance strategies out of thin air. There's no shortage of ways to try to avoid the reality that God is showing us. So, of course, in Jonah's story, we're told that Jonah ran away from the presence of the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for Tarshish. After paying her fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, Joppa, Joppa was like the jumping off place, the gateway to adventure. In, in case you're imagining Jonah like buying a boat ticket and he's a no-name passenger on a boat, we should probably clarify. The, the language here in the book of Jonah about Jonah paying the ship's fare uh, 
that language indicates that Jonah found a boat headed to where he wanted to go, and then Jonah was so eager to leave that he basically took charge of the entire operation and hired the entire ship. Like, paying the ship's fare means paying for the entire voyage so that the boat can leave right now, so that the boat doesn't have to sit in the port for weeks or months or whatever waiting for enough cargo and enough crew and enough passengers and all the things it's nope i will foot the bill and let's leave right now many ancient rabbis and modern bible scholars agree on this they read that text as jonah paying for the entire voyage so we're talking about a substantial sum of money for this journey. Jonah is taking charge of his situation. Now we ask, okay, so why Tarshish? Like if you're going to go somewhere, why Tarshish? Well, Tarshish was the opposite direction from Nineveh. It was the farthest known geographical point, uh, like through the Straits of Gibraltar, western Spain, some say North Africa, uh, but most say like western Spain. So it was this far off and idealized port, a distant, exotic paradise, this legendary place. If you look at 1 Kings 10 verse 22, Tarshish is where Solomon, King Solomon, sent his fleet of ships to fetch silver and gold and ivory and monkeys and peacocks. So I think of Tarshish as the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Now this is no small journey. Ships that went to Tarshish didn't return for three years. And Jonah's paying no small price to get there. Now, as we're reading this story, remember our approach is that uh, this story happens all the time. And so we're asking God to help us see it. So Tarshish is not only a place on a map. In our world, Tarshish symbolizes people who say, fine, I'm going to do it my way. And they take charge of the situation and they just plow ahead. Tarshish is you scrolling through other people's glitzy, glamorous lives on social media and wishing your life could be like theirs and wanting their life and chasing their life. Tarshish is all of your attempts to buy happiness. Tarshish is where we imagine ourselves doing our most glorious work and dreaming of our best life where there are no more opponents, no more enemies, no more problems. Tarshish is escapism and distraction. It's we don't want the life we've got with all of its humdrum, pulling weeds and washing dishes and mucking out stalls and changing diapers. We want spectacle and excitement and convenience and comfort and pleasure. And so... Yeah, on the one hand, Tarshish looks like a luxury cruise, but the pursuit of Tarshish 
is a symptom of a deeper illness. And that illness is that the life has gone out of us. As we keep reading the book of Jonah, you'll see that more and more. It's like, if we can't have Tarshish, we would rather die. Now, on the one hand, Tarshish is real. Like, everything it symbolizes is real. So when we, when we look at some exotic place, when we look at someone else's life, and we're like, man, that looks so perfect. On the one hand, it's real. Millions of people's lives look perfect. But on the other hand, Tarshish is always an illusion. There are no perfect marriages or jobs or states or homes or trucks or schools or friends and on and on. And so it begs the question, is Tarshish actually worth the cost? Because both the journey to Nineveh and the journey to Tarshish demand a high price. When the word of God came to Jonah... Nineveh was a 550 to 750 mile walk on foot. And Tarshish was a pretty penny. Like three years of Jonah's life just to make the journey. So both of those journeys, either one, they cost something. Now if we're looking at this story and we're saying this happens all the time, how do we recognize whether we're buying a ticket to Tarshish or whether we're walking to Nineveh? Because we involve ourselves in all kinds of new projects and endeavors and relationships all the time. And who's to say whether or not we're booking a ship to Tarshish or headed to Nineveh? We can become so good at justifying our decisions that not only do we convince everyone else around us that Tarshish is the right ticket, we almost convince ourselves. It's like, after all, isn't it likely that there are people in Tarshish who need to hear Jonah tell them about God? Maybe Tarshish is a good option after all. Maybe it's the best option. So how do we sort this out? Well, underneath it all, there, there lurks a question that will not go away. And I think it's the defining question. And it goes something like this. It's, what am I after? Am, am I after more of God? Like, what do I actually want more of in my life right now? And it's the question that brings our feet back down to the ground. It brings us back to the reality that God has been bringing to us all along. At the bottom of it all, the question is, am I after more of God? Do I want more of God? Am I pursuing the kingdom of Jesus? And down deep in our guts, I think we usually know the answer to that question. And that answer tells us where we are truly headed. Tarshish or Nineveh. We're told that in Jonah's case, Jonah sailed for Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And that word presence is literally 
the face of God. Have you ever gone to a party and someone shows up who you absolutely don't want to talk to? You don't want to face them. You don't want to have a conversation. And so the entire night, you know where they are in the room because you're paying attention. Uh, you can feel them. If they look at you, you can feel them looking at you. But you don't dare make eye contact. If they head for the snack bar, you go to the bathroom. If they sit down at the table, you're going to head for the drinks. You're avoiding them at all costs. And this is Jonah. Like throughout the majority of the book, Jonah is stunningly silent. He's avoiding conversation with God. He knew that he couldn't escape from God, but he didn't want to face God. He didn't want to have a conversation. That much is obvious. When, when we are in our own version of that and we're wrestling with God's message, when our emotions get all bound up in our bodies and we're trying to hold them in, it makes sense that some part of us absolutely doesn't want to go anywhere or do anything that reminds us of what God has been saying. And so we stay away from, might be church or spouse or family or friends or community. And people wonder, they're like, is it me? Did I say something? Did I do something wrong? But it isn't really about them. It's that we don't want more of God. And so we're staying away from anything that feels like God. And the trouble is, as Bonaventure says, that God, God's center is everywhere. And God's circumference is nowhere. So it's like, we can't escape God. Where can we hide? And so artists often depict Jonah. He's sleeping in the boat. He's sleeping in the belly of the whale. And they depict him as a grown man in the fetal position. He's not hugging the world. He's hugging himself. His world is becoming smaller and smaller and narrower and narrower until he becomes completely alone in the world. And meanwhile, God's movement is embracing the world. Nineveh is the great and the wicked city. And God is embracing Nineveh. So we're asking God for a holy imagination here. We're recognizing, all right, this story happens all the time. We're saying, God, help me see it. What does it look like when this story is happening in your life? When it's happening all around you? Can you identify the beauty and the challenge in what God is saying to you? Can you identify your Nineveh and your Tarshish? Are you in touch with your own emotions and your own motives? And what are you after? Are you after more of God? These are the questions. At our Sunday gathering, we took some time to chat further with one another and, and to try to dig into this. 
And so I invite you to either reflect on these questions or if you've been listening with someone else to chat about these questions with a friend. So here they are. As you reflect on this part of the story of Jonah, how do you see this really playing out in the world right now? Reflect on that. What stands out to you? And then the next question, when God's messages become a reality to you, try to describe those experiences. What are they like? Do they sneak up on you? Do they build over time? Do they flash like lightning? Do they come together like a puzzle? What are they like? What is it that causes you to know that this message is transcendent? It's coming from outside of yourself. And finally, the last discussion question. It's about the journey to Nineveh. It's 750 miles on foot. And the journey to Tarshish is three years and lots of money. So they both demand a high price. In our life, we involve ourselves in all kinds of new projects, endeavors, and relationships. So who's to say which destination someone's pursuing? So what kinds of questions might help you or might help a friend gain clarity on their destination? So reflect on that, chat about that. Love you, friends. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.